and say, hey, did you look at it from this perspective that you could actually teach this to people or provide something to, to this value to people because it could change their life and you don't recognize it because you're used to it. You've lived it, right? You lived it every day and they don't, they don't, I, we all do this. I get, I, I take this, the knowledge that I have in scaling business and performance, I take it for granted. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Mike. Mike, thank you so much for being here with us today. C-Rock in the building. What's up, Michelle? Woo-woo. <laughs> awesome. I am so stoked to have you here. So give everybody kind of the highlight of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I do a lot of things. I'm a serial entrepreneur, speaker, coach, consultant, trainer, podcaster. I mean, I do it all. But at the end of the day, Michelle, I, I really have a mission that I'm on, and that is that all people are unstoppable to live in the life of their dreams. And I filter everything through that mission. So all the stuff that I do is all aligned with that mission. So nice. I love it. So give us a kind of a highlight, because I know one of the specialties that you have is helping people to get in the spotlight, get their mission scene. So how did you get into that as a business? Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a performance expert and, you know, I know how to scale businesses, but I'm also very good at getting people known. And I figured this out with myself going through the process. And about four years ago, I was in the mortgage space for 17 years, mortgage real estate space. And four years ago, we were making good money. Everything was going good. I just didn't feel fulfilled when I wake up in the morning and I didn't really like what I was doing. And I was focused on my local market and building my team and getting them out. And, but I started to realize something that I could talk to them all the day long about getting known, go out and get known. You got to go out and meet people. And here was I doing it. And so I said, you know what? I need to play a bigger game. I got to get known. And if I get known, then opportunities will start to come. And then it's also an inspiration to others. I'm being a leader, you know, practicing what I preach. So I started focusing on the game that I wanted to play and how big I wanted to play. And I started thinking to myself, you know, do I want to just get known in the mid-Atlantic region where I'm located? Do I want to be on the news and everybody in the mid-Atlantic knows who I am? Do I want to go nationwide, global? And then I was watching the news and I saw this, uh, this, this, this uh, story about UFOs. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's aliens, but if there is, I want the aliens to know who I am. And I had this mind expansion exercise. And right at that moment, it just feels, feels like, like a switch went off. And I started figuring things out. I didn't know how I was going to get known, but I just started figuring things out. One of the things was podcasting. And I leaned into this, this, this vehicle that we're in right now. And I found out that there was so much power in it. It changed my life. Some guy told me that. He's like, this is going to change your life. You know that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. And so it's absolutely changed my life, my business. And now it gives me opportunities to help others. Nice. And I love it. And for those of you who can't see Mike's sporting that, that hat and that shirt. And, and all I can think of is I am all that and a whole lot more. And you are. <laughs> well, just, you, to, you just to be clear, this is. This is like the FedEx uh, logo. It has the arrow in it. There's a yep. one under the T. So it's mm -hmm. the company's called that one agency. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hid the one, but, um, but yeah, I like, I like when some, some people say, oh, I like that hat. Where can I get that shirt? <laughs> right. That is awesome. I love it. So in, in your expertise now, who do you serve and support or who comes to you the most? Yeah, we're, we're focused on entrepreneurs, celebrities, authors, uh, speakers, athletes that that want to get out there and get their message out and share with people and really leverage that attention that that gets them mm -hmm. uh, by connecting with people. And so, you know, that's who we're focused on. And it's, uh, 
it's a troubled, it's a troubled tribe. It really is. There's like entrepreneurship is such a lonely thing. It's so mentally taxing. It affects families and relationships and mental health and physical health. And, you know, if you're in this game of helping people make it easier for them to do these things, I think it impacts all the major categories of health, wealth, and relationship. Love it. So a lot of people will look at sports, you know, pros and, and celebrities and think, oh, what do they need to have this for? Because they've already got all that and they're already in the spotlight. And a lot of people don't see what's in the background. And I think if they see what's in the background, they can relate to it and go, oh, okay, I get that's why you're doing the thing you're doing. So what kind of issues do you see these those kind of people having that they still want to be able to be more relatable and get out there? Well, so as a kid, I growing up, you know, I, I was a big sports fan and movies, and I would always be just amazed at my heroes. I would go to ball games, and when they would come up, I, we we started sitting in the high nosebleeds, right? When I go with my grandfather, my 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 dad, my stepdad, and but then I started figuring out, and I started making money. I'm like, if I'm going to games, I'm sitting down low. Well, the players would come up, and I would just be in awe, and then I'd see them on TV, and I'd see all this, and then the movie stars, all this, right? And another thing is like, what's happening? Do you remember the show What's Happening? And happy nope. days. Oh, yeah. Happy like those shows that would come on in the afternoons when I was mm -hmm. a kid. And I just I just thought, man, this is so awesome. Well, what I didn't realize uh, when, when this was going on, Michelle, was that all celebrity is manufactured. <laughs> and most people don't realize that. Like everything is manufactured and paid for. And there's a game being played behind the scenes that you don't know that there's a, there's a strategy that's being used to get people in front of the right people. And then it becomes a thing where they're omnipresent to the right people, not the whole world. Like when I talk about getting known globally, I, I didn't mean everybody, every 8 billion people on this planet. Okay. Cause that's ridiculous. What you want to know or you, who you want to know you is the core avatar prospect for your business or who you want to reach and become omnipresent to them. Mm -hmm. So celebrity is a manufactured thing. And that's what they do. Who needs to see this ball player? Who needs to see this actor? Okay, and they identify that person and then they do whatever they got to do to strategically manufacture celebrity by getting in front of them and becoming omnipresent with a message. And so I figured this out. I, I didn't realize this. I, I'm just like everybody else. I didn't realize it. And I thought, oh, how do you become a celebrity? You got to get on television and, and, and be an actor and have a lot of skill and talent. And it's like, that's part of it. But the, the celebrity is manufactured. So when you're working with somebody of that caliber, is it kind of structuring the things that they're going to be talking about on the camera or is it allowing them to express who they are somehow, some way that becomes socially appropriate? How do you, how do you work with what they're going to say and how they're going to say it? Well, first of all, we have to understand what the, the end game is. What is the vision, right? We have to have a target. So the vision pr provides a target and it provides intention. And intention will lead to what we're going to be paying attention to and the messaging that we want to deliver to get other people to pay attention to our intention. Okay. There's a lot of tensions there, but at the end of the day, that's what we focus on because if we can find out like reverse engineer that vision and understand, like if we get this message that we want people to hear, so they feel a certain way, then we'll go in that. And then we, we cultivate it from that. So if we're working with someone and let's just say um, there's a guy that had a movie come out recently. He was an executive producer for a movie. Uh, I'm not going to get into details of it, but he wanted to make sure people understood and got the word out about the story and the messaging behind this story. 
and we're, 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 we're saying, okay, well, what shows should we put you on, on the podcast network? What shows would really matter as far as the audience and the, the, uh, the host that could ask you the right questions to make you get the message out properly. And then we could repurpose the content in clips and it would look like you're talking specifically to a certain audience about a certain topic. And so we think about this ahead of time. And uh, it just depends on the person though. Like there's ball players that are really good at baseball, but they want to be known for spiritual things and faith or a, a certain cause. What is it at the end of the day that they're trying to accomplish? And then we, we cultivate it from there. Nice. So when you're working with people of that caliber, does it, is it a matter of honing in on kind of what's a business of, of what you're bringing to the table? And then does somebody need to know exactly what that is, or do you help them to cultivate that as well? Yes, we help them cultivate that as well. We have a very creative team where we, we can create, a, create offerings for people. Um, because like a lot of people don't understand, like there's a thing I, I coined this experiential IP. Every experience that we go through becomes our intellectual property that other people are going to go through at some point. And the fact that you get through it and how you get through it or what you learn from that is a lesson that you could teach someone or a product or service that you could offer someone to make their life easier. So what we do is when we interview with someone and we're talking to them about where they've come from, I want to hear their story. Like a lot of, a lot of our clients, I get them on my podcast because I want to hear their story and I can interview them. We can take that information and say, hey, did you look at it from this perspective that you could actually teach this to people or provide something to, to this value to people because it could change their life and you don't recognize it because you're used to it. You've lived it, right? You lived it every day and they don't, they don't, I, we all do this. I get, I, I take this, the knowledge that I have in scaling business and performance, I take it for granted. I think everybody knows it. When I was writing this book, Michelle, when I wrote this book, I got so sick of reading it. The editing process, you'd have to read it again, read it again, read it again. And I'm like, People aren't going to like this book. I mean, everybody knows this stuff, but it's because I took it for granted because I, I lived it. But when people got the book in their hands, they're like, wow, this is an awesome book. It's a great lessons in here. So that's what we kind of draw out from people is, is, is what are you taking for granted right now that you've experienced that we can really dial in for people? Yeah, I love it. And, and when you're writing a book, not only did the information come from you, now you get to read it seven times, 700 times over. Like, okay. Reading a book 700 times over, you really get to know the content of it. So tell me more about the book. Give us the title and all that kind of fun jazz. Cause for those not watching, you can't see it. Yeah. It's called rocket fuel convert setbacks, become unstoppable. Grant Cardone wrote the forward for the book. There's a story behind that as well. And there's, it's stories of my life that I've, used what, what there's a law in there that I've created. It's called the rocket fuel law. It, and I found this out, you know, growing up in a broken home, um, being around a lot of brokenness and then ended up living with my dad after, uh, my mom was getting ready to move on to her third marriage when I was eight years old. And I just, I just didn't want to move into another man's house, another man's rules. I ended up moving in with my dad. This is one of the stories from the book, the main focus of it. And I, I moved in with my dad and it ended up being a situation where my stepmom and my mom had conflict. My dad and stepmom would argue all the time and fight all the time. And it was very toxic. And I started to think, Michelle, that it was like a normal, ordinary thing. This is like the way life is. Everybody has it like this. And so I accepted it. And I think a lot of abusive situations, people get into those things and we're just ordinary. They, they um, normalize it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually I started to realize that this is not the right way to go and it's not the right thing. And I started to think, you know what? I need to get out of here. Well, my mom eventually filed, filed court papers after I shared with her what was going on in that house, which the details are in the book. 
And when my dad found out, I came home after three or four weeks went by waiting for these papers to be delivered. My dad had these papers when I came home from school in his hand. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And he said, go to your room. So I'm sitting on my bed waiting for him to come back. Now my dad was my hero. He was a Mason. He had big forearms and rough hands. You could shake his hand. You know, he's a hard worker. And he used to carry this wad of hundred dollar bills around in his pocket with him. And he used to show us kids like hundred dollar bills. And that's how hard I work. And this is what gets you, you know, and then he would use, he, he, he was very tight with his money too. So he would hold on to that money. Well, when I found out or he found out that I wanted to leave, he confronted me and I said, look, I don't want to discuss this. I, I've already made my mind up and he goes, okay. So he takes that wad of hundred dollar bills out. He crumpled one up, peeled one off, crumpled it up. And he threw it at me. He said, Hey, here, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. And at that moment, as a 10 year old kid, I was like, what did I do? Did I, did I do something wrong here? Did I hurt? Like, like I felt like the bad guy. Right. Yeah. And then very quickly I realized, started to realize, you know what? I'm not going to need that money. I'll show you here. I am like a 10 year old kid. Like I'm going to, I'll go sell golf balls on the golf course next door to us. If I have to, you know, I was thinking all these things, like I'm not going to need that money. And for 30 some years, I drove off of that moment and used it as fuel, rocket fuel to propel myself. Anytime things got tough, I didn't feel like doing something, letdowns, discouragements. When I got bullied in high school a lot as a kid, like I, I just, I just used it. I'm like, I'm not going to let him win. I'm not going to let him win. Now, it wasn't really personal, you know, but I, I just figured out a way to artificially convert into rocket fuel. Most people, Michelle, store that stuff in their trunk, junk in the trunk, and it slows everybody down and it stops them. And I just chose not to do that. So that law is take everything that comes your way that would be you think is designed to stop or slow you down, store it in your fuel tank, convert it into rocket fuel instead of storing it in your trunk where it weighs you down. Nice. I love that because I think it's so easy for people to think that those situations are meant to put them down, put them in their place, make them stay small. And, and when you can harness that energy, even though it, it's still dysfunctional, I get that, but anger is much more productive than, than sorrow and bitterness. And, um, and I also think that being able to even look back when you get to that point, to a certain point is regardless of whether it was sadness, fear, anger, whatever it was to be able to take those circumstances and to fuel them into something that's powerful for other people. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I went through my victim phase, phase and, and bitter phase and I'll show him like, you know, but it doesn't serve you. You know, it just doesn't serve you. Now I don't get the chance to talk to my dad when I mean, the story's in the book um, and it's a really easy read and it's a great read, but like, I don't get to talk to my dad, not, not by my choosing. I, I would reach out, no answer. You know, uh, there's, there's certain factors involved. Um, but I've, I've come to peace with it, you know? Love it. So give us an example of kind of somebody that maybe didn't think they had a story in them that you've been able to draw one out and you went, oh my God, that's an awesome story. How can you not think that's an awesome story? <laughs> yeah, I have a lady that's, um, you know, she, she was really, she has a great business and she's been doing really good growing each year. She's very emotional and she was getting emotional in her business. And I, and I talked to, had to talk with her and said, listen, I learned from my mentors and from my experience in doing it, that motion does not belong in business. The misemotion, like the bad motions, mm -hmm. the only emotions that belong in business are exhilaration, excitement, happiness. Those are the ones you use when you celebrate. And so everything else you need to stay away because when you use misemotion, your intelligence drops and you're not as smart to make decisions and, and handle things the right way. And so I would talk to her about this and 
I'd also get into some of these, what, why is the emotion happening? The emotion that you're having is happening because of something you experienced in the past and a decision you made after a setback or a failure. And so let's explore that. Let's, let's go back. Let's go find these things that happen that were a letdown, a discouragement, abuse, whatever. Let's revisit. Well, this person would be like, well, I don't really want to revisit. It doesn't make me feel good. I know. I know it doesn't make you feel good. That's why you're emotional. Now, do you, you have a choice. Go back and revisit it. Run through it a bunch of times to discharge that emotion or keep letting that emotion control you like a puppet. And this thing happened where she just got it and she's just been phenomenal ever since in her business. And she talks about how calm she stays and collected and her employees react better. And so now I was talking to her about, you know, Hey, let's, let's share this story. Let's share the story of the thing that you found out. And, and uh, you know, there's a story there and then she can go out and share now. And it doesn't like what I just told you about my dad and all that, that doesn't have anything to do specifically with that one agency, the podcast booking agency. It doesn't have anything to do with that necessarily directly. But the story is my story, then it can help me relate to people. And when you relate to people, they want to, tr they trust you better. You build rapport with them. And then they say, Hey, well, by the way, what do you do? What are you working on? If I'm, if I need your services, that kind of thing, I want to work with you. So. Right. Love it. Well, I think too, a lot of people don't realize that they may come across as aloof or if they're successful, people go, Oh yeah, but that's you. That's not me. I can't do that. You're so confident. You have this, you have you know, all that going on for you and a whole lot more. How do I kind of take my story that I think is, you know, commonplace and be able to turn it into something fantastic? And how do you get those people to kind of see that that is fantastic? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I got to say, when I started sharing my story, yeah. I was in a real estate business and a mortgage business and I'm in front of realtors and I'm, I'm like, I used to just teach. I didn't tell stories. And the stuff was good content, but they didn't, they weren't that impressed. And it was, so I started sharing my story and I felt so awkward when I first shared it. I'm like, why am I sharing a story in front of people? Like, this is embarrassing. Oh, I don't, I'm not going to say uh, this right now. Am I? Oh, I'm not. Oh, oh my know. gosh. Like, <laughs> did I really just say that? Why do they care about this? It doesn't even have anything to do with mortgages and real estate. But all of a sudden after the event, they came up to me and they were like, Hey, can I get a picture with you? Man, I relate so much. See, I came from a single mom. I, I came from a broken home. I had those same problems. Da, 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 da. And all this stuff came out. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is powerful. We underestimate the power of our story to impact millions of lives. And we also think that nobody cares and it's not an extraordinary story. So nobody would care, but we underestimate that. man. But I, I don't know if I answered your question. I just, yeah, I absolutely. You did. You did because I think it's important to, for people to really understand that just because they think their story is commonplace, even if it is commonplace, well, great. That's a lot of people that, <laughs> like to, you know, if, by definition, if, if everybody else is going through it, then everybody else is going through it. And if you can articulate it, then that's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who's strong enough, brave enough to be able to say the thing that needs to be said so that people feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, 100%. And by the way, I saw in the background on your uh, wall back there, it says business ownership secrets to scaling boss. Like, I love that topic. So uh, if you have anything that you want to ask me about that, like, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I just want you to know that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I have a sneaking suspicion I could talk to you forever. Anything, but So let, let's take that to the, um, well, let's start with your principles on scaling. How do you um, perceive business? What is the stage of scaling for you? Or what does it take to be able to scale? And then we'll go from there. Yeah. So first of all, I was in the mortgage business and we started from scratch and I built it to eight figures twice. The first time took seven years with my team. 
And then we crushed, not, we crumbled because I didn't look at alignment. I didn't look at it core values. I didn't have a mission. It was all production, 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 and grind and pound. And, and then it comes crumbling down because you don't build a foundation. Second time, it took two years, what it took seven years to do the first time because we built foundation and we had culture and core values and alignment. And we cared about our employees' goals and made sure that they, you know, that, that they were fulfilled as well, not just for the company. And so grind alone doesn't fulfill people. Nah, no, it's a, you know, the deal. <laughs> no. so listen, I got the, I got out of the mortgage space because I just, with the way the market is and what I see trending, I just d- didn't see that being a long-term play and I wasn't fulfilled with it. So what I, what did I do? I go in and start other companies from scratch instead of buying companies, which I'm also doing. I started that one agency and it's a, it's, it's a totally like a startup from, from the ground. And what I focus on here's, here's the stages I look at. First, I get an idea. I get a page set up. It doesn't have to be perfect where I can book calls with people. When I talk to people, I can get them to a call so that I can talk to them and find out what their needs are and to see if I can help them. Number one, we did a lot of money from just a simple page, landing page with a calendar on it and then some explanations of what we do. And I would promote the heck out of that. Promote, 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 promote. I promote until I start getting sales. The way you do this, when you're promoting, you got to make sure your message is dialed in, your offering and your value stack are great. Um, you're going after the right avatar and you're, and you're finding correct communication channels to get to those people. Once I dial that in, I know I'll have sales. When I have sales, now I have sales coming in. Now we're finding out revenues coming in. What do we do with this revenue? Number one, reinvest it. How do I pay myself? How do I pay my team? Creating payment structure. Uh, and, then, and then from there, I start to realize like, oh boy, some things are breaking. Things are breaking in fulfillment. Things are breaking in communication lines, keeping our clients updated. So every single time that happens, the first thing that happens is your heart starts to be like, oh man, you get tightness in your chest and you're like, oh, it sinks. And you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm disappointing people. I'm letting people down. But what we have to realize is these are things that are designed to happen on purpose in business. As you're scaling a business, this gives you opportunity to create SOPs and policies, Right. Because if you have, if you didn't have these things happening, you wouldn't know what correct SOPs to put in place, standard operating procedure or policies to put in place. So now what I do, and I shift in my mind when I grow businesses, I shift it to being thankful that these things come up. Instead of that feeling in your chest, like, oh, so-and-so is complaining. They want their money back. They're, they're, they're saying we're not communicating good enough. Now I'm like, oh, great. This is an, I'm, I'm thankful for the pain in the ass customer. Thank you. <laughs> Because now I can create a SOP around this so that it doesn't happen again. And I didn't know about this or I would have created the SOP in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now what we do is we create all these this, this SOPs and policies. We keep doing what we're doing and what works we lean into. And then from there, we start to add people because we have SOPs for them to follow and we're setting these people up for success. We don't add people before we have a process and, a, and a, the ideal promotion and marketing arm going on because we're not setting them up for success. Now we have a success plan. They can follow the SOPs we put in place. And we always look to fill, um, we always look to fill like low leverage tasks first, get them off our plate so we can focus on the stuff that we're good at. From there, I look at fulfillment because once I get low leverage off, I can market and sell more. When I market and sell more, I need more fulfillment. So now I get the low leverage first hire, second hire, I got fulfillment. I got to take care of the people that are, are fulfilling the orders. And then from there, once I get those lined up, now we got to focus on marketing and selling more because I got to keep them busy. And then, and then we just systematically just chip away at it. 
And then, and then before you know it, a year goes by and you're like, how do we get here? How do we get here to serve all these clients and have this system in place? And then one other thing, scaling, you can also acquire businesses and acquiring businesses. You got to have something that system to make sure that they're in check, make sure they're running properly to put them in, or you're going to have a big cluster. So that's just a little bit of a overview. Right. I love it because I think a lot of times people get confused that when the proverbial, you know, when things break, that it's their fault, that they're bad, that they're incompetent in the business. And they don't realize to your point is that it's going to happen at some point. It has to, it can't not. And if it all happens at once, it's inconvenient, but it's also fantastic because it means that everything's growing at the same time. And I love taking ownership for things like that. When a customer, it happens, mm -hmm. I don't run from it. Oh, I don't want to take this call. Uh, I don't want to call them right away. I confront Confront is a good thing. People have a negative connotation on confrontation. Confronting things is good. Go address the problem. Take ownership of it. I love talking to people. Hey, listen, you know, I appreciate you doing business with us and I appreciate the feedback so much. It means the world to me. I want to make this up to you and I want to become a hero in your eyes. How's that sound? All right, great. I'm just as angry or maybe even more angrier that this happened than you. Now, Alex Hermosi talks about there's only one angry person that can be in the boat. So if I get more angry, that person can't be angry anymore. So I just put on this, yeah, we got to get this fixed, you know, let's, and by the way, I want to thank you because now I can have this new standard operating procedure. So this won't happen to anybody again. And I thank you for that. Nobody handles stuff like that. Most people and, run. And don't we blame. all wish that somebody would handle things like that? Like when it's, anybody calls customer service and you're going, oh my God, can I just talk to somebody that can make a decision on this or, you know, make some changes to this? That's the exact reaction that you want to have is, hey, I am here to listen. I want to know what you want and I want to be able to make changes so that this doesn't happen again. That's exactly what we're all looking for from the customer service or the client point of view. But it seems to take on a different kind of energy when we're the one on the other end of the line going, okay, tell me what I can do. So is there kind of questions that you have? And I know for you, it's probably innate, but you're talking about SOPs. So I'm going to assume that you have some SOPs plan here is what are some of the things that somebody can say on that phone questions they can ask to be able to draw out from an angry client, the things that they need to know in order to be able to make changes. My favorite thing to do is to let people puke. And what I mean by that is, you know, Hey, I'll reach out to someone and say, Hey, you know, I understand there's a concern. Um, and then I want to make sure I address this fully with you. Can you please give me an overview or a background of what you're, you know, what the, the situation is? Mm -hmm. And I just sit there and listen. And I, I don't interrupt. I just let them talk. I let them get it all out. And when they're done, I'll sit there for about three seconds. There'll be a moment of silence. And sometimes they'll say, are you still there? If we're on the phone, right? Are you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I just want to make sure you're finished. Is there anything else? And once they're finished, then I agree with them. It's so simple. You agree with them. You don't worry about your pride and ego and worrying about being right. I want to be successful. So I agree with them. You know what? That's unacceptable. And I take full responsibility for that. Now, here's what I propose that we do to fix this. And I want to hear your thoughts. Sometimes you got to give money back to people. Sometimes you just got to get rid of the problem, right? Other times there's something that you can do to fix, provide more value, correct something. But you can listen, actively listen to the people. And let's face it, sometimes they're full of crap. Like sometimes it's just that they're hard to please people. And I, I'm thankful for those people because it still makes you better. But that's what I do. Ask a question, listen, make sure they're all the way done, get all of it out. Sometimes it just feels good for people to vent. And then after that, when I'm done, I, I offer a solution. 
and it, and it, and, it, and it works. And I, I want to, I, I want to point this out. You can become a hero to those people. So I'm always looking for an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to be put a cape on and be a hero for this person. Well, and I would highly recommend to record that conversation because oftentimes, especially if it's the first time we've had that conversation, we can be so overwhelmed by our own emotions and we don't really hear a thing that they just said. And I think you really do want to hear everything they said because whether they're a great client or a good client, you want to turn them into a great client. You want to actually provide services and things for them to be able to uplevel your services, or you want to ensure that you never have a client like this again. You want their exact wording to give to your legal department, to your people, to your whomever it is to say, okay, let's reverse engineer. How did we find this client and why did they have those expectations? How do we mitigate that and go, like, I get it that you want the sun, the moon, and the stars, but we're promising you rivers and oceans. So, like, we're not even on the same planet here. What yeah. happened? Because oftentimes I find that people <laughs> will go into sales appointments and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, we don't have the proper sales you know, systems in place to be able to ensure that we're setting up our clients for the right expectations. Yeah. And the other thing you said is like, when you go into that call, you don't want to be emotional. You got to keep emotion out of it. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about being right. It's about creating success. And when you realize that, it keeps everything out of it. And you know, the other thing a lot of fa I found out in business owners and salespeople too is they don't feel confident enough in themselves to do enough business because they don't do enough effort and activity and action towards the goal. So they're in a scarcity thing and they're so afraid of losing things and they get real offended if somebody's not happy or somebody doesn't want to do business or wants a refund. But if you are, so Michelle, this is so important for people. M majority of people, most people underestimate the amount of effort it takes to be successful in business. The amount of effort it takes outflow wise to get sales and how much marketing you actually have to do to hit levels that you want to hit. And, and this is where my guy that, that, that wrote that 10X rule, he always talked about that. 10X, 10X, they got 10X. To, you got to up level everything you think is what you need to do and do way more, way more than you think you need to do to get way more results. And so that's why when people get that call, they're like, oh, they tense up because they don't, they don't want to go do the work it takes to replace that business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you had spoken about the systems that you use to be able to put a team in place when you're the one that's good at sales. What about when you're the one that's good at the fulfillment side of things? So the plumber that becomes a plumbing business owner, the, the trades, the professional, whatever it is, what if they're good at the fulfillment side, but they're not necessarily good at the sales side. They got to get good or they got to find somebody that can do it. I mean, it's very simple. I don't, I don't, I, I lean into my weakness or uh, my strengths and my weaknesses. I find someone. And if I have to do my weaknesses until I find someone, I got to do my weaknesses and I got to get good at it. And the only way you get good at it is, is you know, something. The, the reason that people aren't good is, is not because they, uh, they don't like it or they haven't done it before. It's because they don't know something. Experience is not the key. Everybody gets hung up on this experience thing. The only reason experience is good is because it gives you something that starts with a K, knowledge, K-N-O-W. Knowledge comes from experience. People think they have to have experience. So you got to get knowledge. If you're insecure and you're not good at something, you have weakness in something, go find the knowledge. And nowadays, it's so easy because you can go on ChatGPT and type in there, hey, listen, I'm insecure, ChatGPT. Have a conversation with it. I'm insecure in this area. I know I'm insecure because I need knowledge in this area. Can you please, on a gradient scale, 
like I'm a dummy, teach me this thing and give me a 30 day, 15 day, whatever lesson on how to get better at this and know enough about this to be good at it. Nobody wants to do that though. A lot of times. And AI is so, it's so powerful nowadays. Well, and you get some fantastic answers for all of those. Uh, some of which can be to your point, you know, a day to day game plan of not only what you need to learn, but who you can contact. And a lot of people underestimate that contacting somebody else with that kind of knowledge, they think they can't afford to bring those people into their business. When in the meanwhile, that's the exact time to bring these people into that business. That's right. That's right. I mean, um, you know, mentorship has been such a big part of my life, you know, and I, and then people debate like, are you better off being a men having a mentor or are you better off going through an experience trial and error? And that's how long you want to be broke. for. Well, exactly. People <laughs> die from trial and error with some things. People lose relationships and marriages because they're trialing an error and lots of money and time. To me, mentorship is the way to go because it allows you to predict what's going to happen. And if I can predict what's going to happen, I know what to do faster and I'm going to have more success. So um, what do you suggest see, people look for in that mentorship? Well, again, ChatGPT is a huge mentorship program now. And like people don't realize this, like it, it's almost better than human beings. It, it's really getting that good. But in a mentor, really, you know, you want to look at somebody that's done it, that has actually done it. They're not teaching you from learning from someone else, but they've actually learned from doing it. They didn't have necessarily a mentor. If they did, they've done it. They actually did what they were told. And so that they can share with you those things. And then, man, I, like I've, I've had mentors from afar, Michelle, like when I read a book of someone and I lean into all their content, I've studied people from afar. They don't even know I was studying them. And then I eventually met them and became friends with them. But I think you should start off by finding somebody that's doing what you've done or that resonates with you and they're further along the journey. Right. And then, just immerse yourself in their content. I wouldn't even go off. I wouldn't even look for like multiple mentors. I would find one and just immerse myself every single day. I'm reading or watching their content every single day until I feel confident enough that I know enough about it. Eventually go to anything that they offer events or set up a meeting with them or whatever the case is and let them know you've been studying from afar, learning a much, much from them and you have questions. And then eventually you'll outgrow that mentor and then you'll be looking for another one in a different area or somebody that's further along. I, I, I think that one guy that always, I didn't outgrow, that was a mentor of mine was Grant Cardone. He wrote the forward for my book because he's always up-leveling. He's always up-leveling. Oh, he's up-leveling. And I get to a certain point where I think I got it all. And then he's like, no, no, this is what I do at this stage of my life. And, this, and I'm like, man, I, I, I can't catch him <laughs> yet. <laughs> so... Well, I think a lot yeah. of people don't realize that getting just the freebies from people, all you're getting is a peripheral information because everybody's going to start with, okay, let's assume you're a basic and this is where we're going to go. And you're never going to get past that basic stage without going deep into somebody's content knowledge, because that's where they go. Oh, okay. You understand what I'm saying when I say this, now we can go into a whole new level. So I'm not explaining myself every time I want to say something. I think it's a huge well, misnomer. The other thing is, is that you want to study the mentor when they were at the stage you're in. Because if, you know, sometimes I'm talking to some people that are further along and they don't, they don't remember what it's like to be at the stage. So if they have documentation that they've done, this is why it's important to document your process in your life. 
Cause you can go back and remember, like when I wrote that book, I can remember where I was when I wrote that book. And if somebody's in that stage, I would say, Hey, here, read this book first before you talk to me right now. I love it. So give us an example mm -hmm. of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. Um, well, you know, the, the one that sticks out to me the most really is not necessarily a client, but it was a lady that worked with me in the mortgage business. She came, her name is Beverly. She came and started out as a junior processor in the mortgage business. And she was a paralegal. She came to us. I was just a startup at that time again. And she was the first hire that we had. And I think she was with me for 11 or 12 years. But over that time, she just became a mentee and started listening to the things that we, you know, we go through things together and we learn together, but that she would learn from me. And then I was always learning from other people. And then I would bring that knowledge back to her after I was implementing it. Eventually she just grew from process, junior processor to processor to processing manager. And she was making good money and she became a millionaire. And not only that, after that time, she started to become licensed in the mortgage business. I said, you know what? You want to make really good money? Get licensed too. That'll give you freedom and choices, not just to have to be a processing manager. And then now when you're at this position here, you're at the mercy of anybody that's feeding the business. Well, why don't you also put some responsibility in your bucket and now you have the responsibility and you can feed yourself too. And then if you want to, you could become the full, you can become a loan officer and produce your own stuff and make really, really good, good money. So she did it. She went after it. She listened to me. And then eventually she wanted to build her own team. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in a company right now. And I know if I build this person to a certain degree that they're eventually going to leave and go do their own thing. Probably because that's the journey of people that are achievers. I have to be okay with that as a mentor, as a business owner, I got to build people to be in a position to do whatever the hell they want to. And I got to be in a position to go and keep finding new people to, to bring in. Right. So eventually I shut that, I shut my branches down. She went on and has her own branch and now she did the work. Okay. I'm not taking credit for this. She did the work, but I've poured into this lady for 10 or 11 years and she listened and did the things that a lot of other people didn't do. And now those other people, there's a, there's a, there's a, some, a couple others, but this is the one that sticks out to me. Now she's got the opportunity. She's got um, uh, investments, real estate, and she's got these, this, this brand that's out there. She shared her story. She's just an amazing person that's going on to do amazing things and impacting a lot of lives. I love it. So I know where we're both <laughs> preaching to the choir here is uh I know that a lot of what you do is focused on helping people to self-actualize, finding out what they're made of, being able to kind of take the diamond in the rough and bring out that diamond. So what might somebody be experiencing at home? What kind of struggles do they find themselves facing when they're going, oh my God, C-Rock, I totally need you in my life. Uh, you know, I think for me right now, it's a lot of people are struggling to get known. You know, I've gone through these different stages where I've helped people find out what are you made of and performance coaching and all that. But really the focus recently has been on, you know, finding people that are, they're like, how did you do what you did? You're killing it. You're crushing it. And now I will tell you that a lot of times they say to me, this these things and I don't feel like I'm crushing it. And it's because of the perception, the manufactured celebrity, right. Gives you that credibility, that altitude, that um, what's the word I'm looking for? The authority, because it's manufactured and I've done it the right way. So people need to learn how to manufacture that. They need to understand, first of all, that it is manufactured and that they can do it. 
And so that's where I find people a lot of times they don't understand the game. And then, and then, you know, give you an idea, Michelle, Instagram, all Instagram people, all Instagram people, including the Kardashians, celebrities, all of them have half, at least half of their followers are not real followers. Okay. Most people don't know that. So that what they do is they go into Instagram, they try to produce great content. Uh, they try to get engagement and then they're not. And then, and they're like, what's going on here? I can't, I, I can't figure it out. They get frustrated because they don't know the rules of the game. The rules of the game are get your account looking great. Figure out a way to take, get half of your followers being manufactured, quote unquote, through promotions. Then people see it, they get a perception and then it elevates the growth and the organic following. Most people don't know that. And when they find out about it, they want to complain about it. So you either don't know the game and don't know the rules or they do and they find out about it and they're like, oh, I'm not paying for that. I'm not paying for that. Bill Gates paid million, tens of millions of dollars, tens of million, not just for Microsoft, but for Bill Gates to be known as Bill Gates and people to know who he is, whether it was press, billboards, magazines, whatever it is, it's all manufactured. And people do not like that if they find out about it or they don't know about it. So you got you to know the game and then you got to be willing to play the game or don't because you're not going to compete with people that are playing the game and by the rules. So I know a lot of people that are what I would call pomp and air. And I don't think that you fit into that. And I think everybody watching this can feel that. So give me kind of the five seconds, because again, I could talk to you all day about this, but <laughs> five seconds to last. The people that think, well, that's just shallow. That's not what I, I don't want to come across that way. I don't, I want to be sincere in my care and compassion for my clients. I don't want to come I don't want all the pomp and air. I don't want to go, oh, and I was seen on this and I was interviewing billionaires and I was doing, and they're doing all the things in order to get those sites. What do you say to them? That don't want it? Well, I mean, you can play whatever game you decide to play. Fair enough. You know, <laughs> but if you do this game, you need to be able to back it up. So I've done so much work on myself. I've invested, I don't even want to say, it, but probably 300-ish thousand in, invested in myself, um, worked on myself, found out who I am peel back all the layers, find out my weaknesses, develop all my skills that I feel weak in and, and insecure in. I can back up all the manufactured celebrity that I've manufactured. Most people that do this and fit find this game, they'll get this manufactured celebrity and then they can't back it up. So you need to be able to back it up. But if you don't want to play that game, guess what? That's a decision that you make. You do not get to choose the results from your decisions that you make. You can only choose the decisions you make. So if you get the result from the decision you make not to do that, you got to be okay with the, the result of it. And that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's right or wrong. It's just a decision of what game you want to play. And then you've got to be okay with the results of that game. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's important for people to realize, especially in social media, you are competing against an algorithm, not other people. And that is so important to understand. So it's kind of like, to me is, well, if you're in front of a crowd of people, do you want to stand on a stage? And, you know, so people can see you, or are you going to stand on the ground where nobody can see you? Like the stage isn't who you are. It's a stage you need to stand on so that people can see you. And if that's what it takes is to be able to get this metal formation underneath you, then do it. Same thing with, with uh, the algorithms is you need to have so many followings. So get the followings to get the attention. And what you do with that following is then up to you. And that's where the authenticity comes in, is when a real person does finally be able to see you. 
everybody knows that you're standing on a stage. They know that you're not really that tall. <laughs> so that part's kind of like, don't, don't confuse those two things. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So that's a little inside joke with me and my friends that uh, everybody meets me. They're like, you're bigger than life. But when I meet you, you're like little. Cause I'm five seven, and I'm I'm I have some muscle on me, but I'm five seven. You, you got some muscle. people think I'm taller <laughs> until they meet me, but my being, my spirit is is immense, and I know it, and I feel it, and I use it, and I encourage, and I teach other people how to do this. But um, it's so funny when you said that because like you're not that tall. I know you weren't talking about me, but it's just funny because if my friends heard this, they'd be laughing. <laughs> that was awesome. So I know our audience is going to want more from you. How do they start that journey with you? Yeah, you can go and check out at our agency at that one agency, that the number one agency.com. And you can hear about more of what we're doing in the podcast world, booking guests on stages and, and shows. And of course, uh, Instagram is usually the best way to follow me, uh, Mikey C R O C, Mikey C Rock. Love it. We will, of course, have all of Mike's links in the show notes. So go ahead and click on those links, open them up in another browser because we're not done yet. So, Mike, I get to ask you at what point in life did you know you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Uh, you know, I'm going to take it back to kindergarten because when I was in kindergarten, I was the MC of my kindergarten graduation. And so I had this thing inside of me that I was going to be a celebrity, not necessarily entrepreneur, but probably entrepreneur as well, but celebrity speaker, celebrity something. I knew I was going to be special at a young age and I didn't need validation from other people. So anytime I'd hear something that I went through some abuse and all that, my stepmom used to use this word pathetic, you're pathetic. And I don't even know what that word means, but the way it was coming out of her mouth, I didn't even look up the definition. I just knew it was a bad word. But I was always going to be like, no, I'm not. I'll show you. I'll show you what pathetic is. And I'm going to be something and I'll show you. And I just always had this thing at a young age. Uh, and I fought through all these things that I fought through to get to keep getting to, to, to where I wanted to go. And um, the next thing for me, though, Michelle, I, I just know, I just know that I'm going to be, uh, you know, in movies and television. I, just, I don't know why or how. I haven't gone to film school or anything. I just know that I have something. And uh, I don't know how it's going to happen yet. So five years old, I would say the answer to your question, five years old. You have been absolutely awesome. I am, there's zero doubt in my mind that you're going to achieve everything that you set out to achieve. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> any last words for our peeps? Yeah, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to understand that what you do is not who you are. What you do in your industry and in your life is, is, is your vehicle. You know, and I, I want people to understand this because so many people I've interviewed over five, almost 600 people now, and all of them have had a moment in life where what they did fell apart and they lost their identity. And it was a very challenging, one of the most challenging times, if not the most challenging times of their lives, because they were identifying with what they did. What we need to make sure we understand is who we are. Who are you? Peel back the layers and find out who you are and, and, and not what you do. Because if you do attach yourself to what you do and you identify with that, you're going to run into a time that's that that can be avoided. That will be a very dark time in your life. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate you. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Share with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well if that scares the 
left out of view. Check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.